0: Hi ladies, I'm Henri, and I'm Blanca, and this is the MEOW podcast. MEOW stands for My Empowerment of Women and is a show dedicated to encouraging women to live empowered lives through storytelling. We are here to inspire women by advocating
1: self-love, self-realization, self-development, mental health, and entrepreneurship.
0: It's a platform for all women to
1: find purpose and share their stories. Join us bi-weekly as we sit down and have heartfelt conversations that spark curiosity and inform you while we have some fun.
0: Stay tuned, ladies. Hey, ladies. Welcome back to our new podcast episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. How are you, Henri? I'm feeling pretty great because I'm going to Japan this Saturday for two weeks.
1: I know that's so exciting. You're going with your boo.
0: My boo thing. We're about to talk today's topics on green flag. So I
1: can't wait to see all your content and to be inspired
0: because I really want to go as well. I'll tell you all about it. But how are you doing Blanca?
1: I'm doing well. I have been have you been keeping up with the news about the Middle East? Yes. And Palestine and Israel what's going on there?
0: That's been kind of hard to digest. Seriously, I've been doing lots of research on my own on the history behind it and all of that. It's very, very heartbreaking with what's going on around the world.
1: We wanted to take this time to just kind of let everybody know that if you're not staying informed, please do so, please do your own research and praying for all of the innocent souls that are suffering right now. Like, I just think it's important to spread a lot of love right now and be really intentional about what we're consuming in the media.
0: Yeah, spreading knowledge, genocide is awful. I
1: think that sometimes with our world, we can get really blindsided with like how protected we are in this country, that we're not dealing with anything like that. All we really have is social media to kind of look at the things that people are going through. And it's just important to stay informed and to not forget that there's people out there that are suffering. Definitely wanting to send love and prayers
0: to both the people of Palestine and to Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Pain is just spreading and, you know, just going on social media, not just on social media, going outside of it, going beyond into researching the history is really important to understand what's going on in the world and how to properly um, assess and maybe help out the people that are both suffering on both ends.
1: Yeah. In light of the recent violence that has left hundreds dead and thousands injured and homeless that we will be linking donation sites check out our info and description for those links thanks guys but um i'm excited to get into today's topic we have a special guest our relationship episodes are our most popular episodes those are the ones that get the
0: most listens because you know why lots of people are going through relationships sometimes (laughs)
1: yes and i think that well we deal with relationships you know every single day with our families with our significant others in our friendships in our workplace so i think that most of us are usually just trying to maneuver the world and trying to figure out how to appropriately get along with others. So on today's episode, we have a special guest who is one of my best friends from childhood. Her name is Alejandra Rojas. Alejandra is a family court lawyer. She works as a law clerk in family court. I thought that today she'd be a great guest. I always like getting in conversation with Alejandra about the things that she witnesses at work every day. So hi, Alejandra, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today because I've actually have talked about you a lot. And because just how much I love our friendship. We've been friends for how many years
2: now? We were pretty young. So I think maybe like 17 or 18 years? Yes. A long, it... a long time. Let's not age each other. I'm going to share the story, Henri, about
1: how <laughs> Alejandra and I met. I, we just have such a beautiful friendship. And she's really. really one of these friendships that I keep close to my heart. At this point, when you've been friends for 18 years, you're not even a friend anymore. You're like a sister. <laughs> the way that I met Alejandra was the old Latin way. I had just turned 15. And Alejandra was 13. She was about to turn 14. She's always like I was 13. And I'm like, you were literally like, two months away from being 14.
2: (laughs) A child. I was a child.
1: (laughs) Yes. And we actually met at mutual friends quinceanera, which is a sweet 15. I don't know if you've ever heard of quinceaneras Henri. I haven't. So quinceaneras in Latin culture, they're like the big sweet 16. And it's this big ceremony thing. The girls wear big poofy princess dresses. I walk in with my mom and and Alejandra was sitting with her mom on another table. And my mom saw Alejandra's mom (laughs) across the table. And she goes, oh, my God, come sit with us. Or I can't remember exactly.
2: It was come sit with us. Come sit with us. Yes. And so our moms got to talking. And my mom, you know, they talked about what they did. And my mom was like, oh, I need my haircut. And Blanca. his mom is an amazing hairstylist. And then we got to talking about our ages. And our mom started talking about what schools we went to. And Blanca was like, minimally interested in this conversation and more interested in watching the performance because quinceaneras usually have these big dance performances. I don't remember us talking very much. During that party, it was mostly about you know, our moms talking, we were sitting on opposite sides of the table. And we kind of chatted and Blanca, I think, got this impression that I was like, I don't know, maybe like a stuck up person. girl, (laughs) Because I went to a school that had, you know, a pretty decent reputation. And when Blanca's mom said, Oh, like, Blanca, Alejandra goes to this school. Blanca was like, oh, that's like the smart kid's school. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was kind of that dynamic
1: in the beginning. You know how like when angels come into your life and they just like course correct your life, Henri? That is what Alejandra and her mom were for me. Alejandra and I both grew up in Washington, D.C. We are from the inner city. And i was in junior high it was like a middle school that went up to ninth grade and so we were both ninth graders soon i would have to be looking for high schools personally at that point in my life i had a lot of insecurities this is a really great story about limiting beliefs i had a very thick limiting belief that i wasn't intelligent that i wasn't smart and so when i found out that alejandra went to this high school it's a magnet school here in dc so they select all of the high achieving students of the city and it was really small at the time i i think that they take more kids in now but when we went it was only like a 100 kids a class so i was like oh my god like you must be a genius because you go to that (laughs) school and i had no interest in applying to the school i was there's no way like i would never get into that school absolutely it wasn't even in my radar i wanted to go to the high school that was near where i lived that's for all like the Latin kids went, but it wasn't a good school. But I had such a limiting belief. I was like, that's the only option that I have. And my mom... Becoming friends with Alejandra's mom was like, oh my god, she really wanted me to be friends with Alejandra, really wanted me to be friends with her. At that time, my mom just wanted me to be around good influences. Uh, Alejandra's mom starts to (laughs) sprinkle ideas into my mom and she's like, you have to send your daughter to school without walls. You don't just send kids to this school. You have to have the academics, but then you also have to take a test i was like who is this lady who is telling my mom to send me to this school i was anticipating rejection before me even trying why is she doing this to me because i didn't want to feel the shame of not getting into this like prestigious high school regardless my mom and my and her mom were pushing me you're gonna apply to this school i basically had no choice i get a letter from the high school saying that my application got rejected from from going and i was like see i told y'all I, I couldn't get into this high school. I was so sad. I was like, I don't even know why you guys made me try. Regardless, Alejandra's mom calls calls my mom. And she's like, oh, I want to know the results. Did Blanca get into the high school? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And she goes, well, why? And I'm like, because I'm not smart. <laughs> the next day, I, there's a knock at my door. Like, I'm getting ready for school. And it's Alejandra's mom with Alejandra. And she goes to my mom, we're going to go to Alejandra's high school and ask why Blanca <laughs> didn't get into the high school. I was like, oh, hell
0: no. <laughs> Alejandra's mom was like, there's no way Blanca did not get into the school.
2: And, like, was- for context, my mother is probably five foot nothing and, like, <laughs> a very tiny Colombian woman, and she – I remember coming home and she was like, Blanca's really sad. And I was like, why? And she goes, she didn't get into the school. And I was like, oh, like, why not? And my mom was like, I'm not sure, but we're going to figure it out. And so suddenly the next morning, we're at her door. Like, it was probably 7 a.m. School here starts at 8.45. And it was 7 a.m. And into the car we went. It was like, you know, when in alcoholics, when they do like intervention, it
1: was like that. I was crying. I was like, I'm not going into the high school. We get to the high school and she goes, you need to go inside it and ask the principal why you didn't get in. And I looked at my mom and I was like, there's no way that in hell this lady is making me do this right now. I go into the high school. I run into the vice principal. Are you crying? (laughs) I'm not crying, but I'm like, probably whispering to her because I was so scared <laughs> and I'm in my schoolgirl uniform at, at this high school they didn't wear a uniform yeah. and she goes um hi what are can I help you and I go hi my name is Blanca um I applied to this high school and I got a rejection letter and I just wanted to know why I got rejected <laughs> <laughs> and she goes okay and it's just me my mom didn't come in my mom stayed in the car it was just you and even it was just me no i went with you
2: alejandra just went with me but it was but can you imagine (laughs) but she was the blanca was the one doing the speaking i was just standing there because i went there that was my yeah she was
1: already a ninth grader there she looks up my application and she goes oh it looks like your school forgot to send in your transcript so your application was incomplete so we rejected it because of the deadline and i'm like oh god (laughs) Go to your, um, your counselor and tell them to fax your transcript today and then we will reassess and see if you can go on to the next step, which is the testing part. Fast forward two weeks or like a month or something, um, I get another letter saying, congratulations, Blanca, you have been accepted to go on to phase two test into the high school. And I was like, I could not believe that I had this had happened to me, because I wasn't one of the smartest kids in my ninth grade class. I was like, I'm just I'm just happy to be there. (laughs) I'm still trying to cross my mind how I'm sitting here with all of these the smartest kids of the city, you know, at least that's how I saw them at the time school. So I ended up getting accepted into school without walls shout out class of 2010 period Um, and that high school completely just transforming my life and really opening up the door to really all of these limiting beliefs that i had and i have to give thanks to alejandra and her mom for coming into my life honestly like it was so random how we ran into each other and the way that you and your mom helped guide me during that period because i don't think that i would be where i am if i hadn't gone to that high school because going to that high school everybody went to college you know like everybody did is doing great things and i feel like i was there and every day that i went to that high school i literally couldn't believe that i was there alejandra by the way was an academic and overachiever she was taking pre-cal when we were in the ninth grade and was taking college classes by senior year. Yeah, I really wanted to tell that story because I think that it, it talks about limiting beliefs and how they start at a really young age, you know, and any of you out there have angels that have come into your life and course corrected you like my friendship with Alejandra did. But I also wanted to talk about our 17 year friendship and why we've been able to stay friends for so long and it's been such a healthy friendship, don't you
2: think? Yes, I was telling Blanca recently that if anyone listening or either of you have seen Grace and Frankie, that's kind of like what Blanca and I are very much like. We couldn't be more different personality wise. We couldn't be more different looks wise. Like we are so polar opposites, And the friendship has worked so well all these years, I think, because we both accept each other the way that we are. And no matter how far Blanca has left from the, the area and returned or not returned for lengthy periods of time. We've maintained contact and it's always so easy to just kind of pick up wherever we leave off. I yes. love
0: that. You guys are so sisters. Yes, soul we're, sisters.
1: we really are. And I don't really feel like we've changed very much. Like, I feel like obviously we've matured, all of that stuff. But we're the kind of people, we literally look exactly the same. <laughs> Like our essence has not changed since we were like in high school. It's kind of crazy.
2: It's pretty accurate.
1: And I also want to just say that we were literally just some of the most innocent girls. I don't think that people, when I tell people just how innocent we were in high school, people believe me most of the friends that I have had these like wild high school experiences, but was it like a trauma response?
2: I think, in part, like, because we grew up in the inner city, and we both had really, really strict moms. I'm the daughter of a single parent, um, and Blanca's parents are Latin. And so we were always very told what not to do. And we always like saw very much in our schools and in our neighborhoods, what the wrong thing to do was. And so I think that a lot of our Responses as teenagers to the world was were kind of fear based, but they helped because they kept us out of trouble. We weren't innocent in the sense that we didn't know things. We were innocent in the sense that like we were we believed that there was like more out there to be doing than most teenagers were doing at the time. So like if we told our moms we wanted to go to the mall to buy two for twenty dollar polos at Aeropostale, that's where you would find us. Yeah, and eating California Pizza Kitchen. So I think we just knew. What could happen if we veered down the wrong path and neither of us were willing or curious enough to do that?
1: Yeah, both of our moms had us on tight leashes. I think that we found solace in each other. We were in this limbo between being around a lot of American kids, our Latin American family. We never fully like fit in in either group. And so we like found each other and just were able to be very authentic without feeling judged by the other yeah i just want to shout out to those girls i remember in those times like where we would just like talk about our dreams and the things that we wish that we would do and and the lives that we wanted to have and i just want those girls to know that it's good that they that they stayed their age yeah anyways i really wanted to share that story because i just really love our friendship and i'm very grateful
2: for you (laughs) shame heart hands
1: Now we're going to shift into the interview portion of today's episode. Alejandra is a law clerk in family court here in Washington, D.C. She graduated from the American University. I'm excited to get into today's conversation because you are dealing with family relationships. And first, can you tell us a little bit about your educational background and how you became an attorney?
2: Sure. I was always a really curious kid. I loved learning about what people's jobs were and whether they liked their job or not was always my question to adults. And I'd meet plenty of lawyers, people who my mom worked for, and they would always say how difficult it was to be a lawyer and how much they hated it. And I never saw being a lawyer as a possibility for me because I thought that only geniuses were lawyers. And so I went to Undergrad and I studied um, elementary education and was a teacher at an immersion school in Arlington for three years. And then the election happened in 2016, and I thought I have to do something else. I had plenty of families who were coming to me as a teacher with tons of questions about their immigration statuses and their family relationships and how things were going to shift for them after the election. And I also had questions and decided there was no better way to get my answers than going to law school. It had been something I had thought about for a long time, and suddenly it became a reality. So the election happened in November, and I secretly signed up and took the LSAT, secretly applied. And then I got into law school and kind of kept it all under wraps until I was ready to acknowledge the shift that would be happening in my career and I started law school the following August and it's been quite a journey um, but I feel really privileged to have been able to go. I love my work. I
0: love the court where I work. I love the people who I've gotten to work with and for. I love uh, it. The whole background, how you just pivoted and you kept it under the wraps. So you didn't tell your mom or anybody? No, I didn't tell anyone. I have always, it's kind of a trauma response, to be honest
2: with you. I've always been someone who doesn't share news until the very end because I'm afraid of failure. And so until I am 1000% sure that something is going to go the way that I anticipate it going, I don't share. And it's a skill that has served me pretty well. So I didn't say anything. I bought one LSAT book off of Amazon and I would study during lunch periods and I'd go to the library and I'd sit after work and, you know, go through practice questions. And then I got up one morning and it was really early on a Saturday and I told my mom I had to run an errand and went and took the LSAT it's it's a whole ordeal I was teaching fourth grade at the time and really loved it but I knew that it was time for a change I just didn't know that it would come this
0: dramatically that's awesome your mom must be really proud of you
2: thanks we do what we can <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think she I is. get the same personality seems like grabbing Blanca to go to the school and then with you you're just like <laughs> I'm gonna do this Full four. so you guys you probably got that from your mom <laughs>
2: I probably do get some of that personality trait from my mom. She is quite uh, dedicated, very headstrong. So whatever she says she's going to do, she does it. And then we figure it out later.
0: We all need a female role model like that, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's always nice even having moms, especially kind of guide us in that direction.
1: So going on to the next question, Hispanics are largely underrepresented and only make up 5.8%. Of the 1.3 million lawyers in the United States, of that percentage, 2% are women. That's crazy. What's you're, in what's that
0: the- you're in that yeah. 2%. You're in that 2%.
2: Here we are.
1: Here we are representing. How does that make you feel, one? And then two, what sort of advice would you give to someone
2: following your footsteps? Well, it makes me feel really grateful. It's a privilege to live in a country, to have been born in a country where girls can go to school and where, you know, even with the challenges that we face, as As minority women, it's still possible to, you know, achieve success in ways that maybe aren't possible back where our parents are from, at least where my mom is from, it would be a completely different process. So it makes me feel really, really grateful. I think that when I was applying to law school, all undercover. I had a lot of questions for different people that I knew that were lawyers. And I often asked, you know, like, what advice would you give someone who wanted to go to law school? Or what do you think about law school? And everyone I spoke to told me that it was a terrible idea. Everyone said that being a lawyer was awful, that the hours were brutal, that you met pretty rude people, that the whole the whole idea was just a no go. And these were people who were, you know, barred attorneys who were working in different aspects of the legal field. And I can't recall a single conversation I had with a lawyer where someone told me that it was a good idea. And I think that most lawyers, at least in the city who you talk to would say, don't do it. But I would have the opposite perspective. Going to law school has been um, a blessing. I think that the amount of History and understanding of this country and how we have arrived to these very many contentious political places is I would not have gained without going to law school. And even though it was challenging, I met some of my very best friends there. The relationships I formed while I was there are relationships I'll have for the rest of my life. And I never imagined just how many things I can do with a law degree. And so I would say to go for it. It doesn't matter what people around you are saying, dedicate everything that you can to, you know, doing well and understanding the material. Just because people there don't look like you doesn't mean you don't belong there. So I would, tell anyone who wants to go to law school that if that is truly what they want to do that they absolutely should it's a a very rewarding career in many ways
1: because only two percent of hispanic women are lawyers in this in the united states and you going to do you feel that (laughs) i don't know do you feel like you have to go in representing the culture how how does that what is that experience for you that's a good
2: question in many ways yes i think that I'm definitely hyper aware that I'm generally the only person in the room who is a minority woman. I've had questions. Are you the interpreter? Why are you here? By people who just like generally have no idea why I would be sitting in a courtroom with someone who I work for. It's taught me to kind of stand in this space. It's taught me that there is a space for me and other people like me. I'm definitely not the first Hispanic woman to occupy this space. And I definitely won't be the last I know plenty, not plenty, but at least a couple of Hispanic women who are also, you know, in the process of obtaining a JD. And so every time I see a Latina who is, you know, in law school, or somebody reaches out and wants to have coffee or a conversation, I'm always open to doing that. Because I think that it's important to have, you know, people in all different spaces that can relate. You know, the law has for so many years affected so many different people in different ways. And when you see yourself reflected in someone who is in a position that you feel is higher than yours, maybe with a degree that's higher than yours, it's always comforting. Like I enjoy that every time the people who clean the courthouse come into the office, I can say hello to them in Spanish and they ask me questions like, oh, are you a lawyer here? I enjoy that I get to have those types of interactions i definitely hope to see more latinx lawyers in the future would love to encourage anyone who's in this position or trying to apply or figure out if they should apply or if if it's worth it or if they would be able to make it that you can totally do it there's so many people in this profession who you would not believe are here mm-hmm. and yet here they are
0: <laughs> because especially i think about seeing someone that has a similarity to or, or resemblance it just feels like home close to home and you feel like you can achieve that and it's a different source of encouragement for example like me finding a japanese woman and like even in the Latin X culture all of that so really really proud of you for sticking your ground and really going forward with your dreams and really inspiring others in the process. Thanks. You- it's been very rewarding. I love it here. So Alejandra, what would you say being a family law attorney has taught you about people and marriage life? So I'm not a practicing family
2: law attorney, but I do clerk in the family court, which means that I see, you know, countless people daily, who are struggling with different issues that are related to custody and child support and divorce and legal separations. And it's taught me that no matter who you are, whether you are very, very well off economically, or below the poverty line, people care about generally the same issues, you know, someone who's a CEO versus someone who, you know, picks up your trash Both of those people care about their family and they care about their money and they care about their hurt and their pain. And it's taught me that no matter who you are, you walk into these relationships all the same way, You know, wanting to be seen and heard and loved and cared about. And when that breaks down, people tend to have the same emotions and reactions despite where they fall on that economic spectrum. I think sometimes we pedestalize like, People with money and maybe look down on people who have less of it, or at least that's what the world kind of teaches us to do. But family law is interesting in that it it you see the gamut of every sort of person under the sun. You know, rich, poor, old, young, middle class, whatever it is that you can think of, every gender, every um, you know, face, every person. People care about the underlying same issues.
0: And that's what I found to be the most interesting. That's amazing to hear. And, you know, we have different careers, and we have different set of issues. But what we care about in the core as human beings are very similar in the ways that we care about. They they probably feel like their world is getting destroyed when they're going through these hardships with relationships and having to pick and choose and how to go away about life.
1: Yeah, because I feel like whenever I hear about just family court or people that are going through divorce it's probably some of the worst periods of people's lives at times and you're actually witnessing some of the hardest moments for people how does that feel when you're sitting there taking in the emotional realities of people
2: it can be pretty challenging to be honest with you you know sometimes just because you're in a court building doesn't mean that your emotions shift or that you're able to kind of reel it in sometimes it means the opposite you are both absolutely right where we meet people, this situation that they find themselves in is generally the worst thing that could have possibly happened to them. They're fighting for, you know, the loss of a relationship they thought would last forever. They're fighting for their children, they're fighting for their money for their retirements that they've built, you know, they're fighting for, again, the things that matter most to most people, and they're struggling. And so you get all of their emotions all at once. And I would say that most people who come in generally don't have attorneys because it's expensive to have an attorney. And at least in the inner city where I work, more common than not for people to come to family court alone, so without a lawyer. And so it's interesting to watch, you know, how the law affects people's lives in real time and what solutions the law can provide to people, again, no matter what culture or creed you're from to solve these very real issues that people face every single day.
1: We're going to be talking a little bit about divorce, because I think that this is just such an interesting topic, because I think that this brings out, I, I, I think it makes, it, it feels like it makes people kind of get into their most primal selves, you know, people get into these very juvenile, like people just like turn and, and excited to talk about relationships today and one thing that i wanted to ask you're always talking to me about prenups and why they're important and i honestly feel like i really don't know anything about prenups other than the things that you've kind of told me about but i think that this is such an interesting topic i think that most people have like a very negative connotation to what a prenup is every time you hear about it it's like it's like this bad scary thing that kind of sets somebody up for the worst sets
2: somebody else up for the best so what is a prenup? So a prenup stands for a prenuptial agreement, something that you create a document. It's a contract that you basically build from scratch before you marry someone. And it lists out what would happen in the event that your relationship that your marriage does not work out. I'll also note that family law is different in every state. So everything that I'm saying is generalized. It's not specific to DC It's not specific to anywhere else. Generally, prenup get a really bad rap. You know, they are, in the eyes of many people who are starting relationships, a way out of a relationship. And no one who is getting married wants to think about their marriage ending before it's even started, which I totally get. And to be honest with you, most people who come to family court come without a prenup. They have not ever given any thought to what would happen if their relationship didn't end. And if they did, they didn't put it down on paper. And so I would say that prenups are useful, not just for one person. I think that when you're asked to get a prenup, sometimes you can kind of feel backed into a corner. But a prenup is the idea, at least is for it to help both people. You know, um, some people go into marriages thinking that they're going to be married to the same person for the rest of their lives. And while that may be true in ideals. I change. I'm not the same person who I was three years ago. You're not the same person who you were three years ago. And you're definitely not going to be the same person in 30 years that you were today, the day that we said I do. And so thinking through assets and what could possibly happen with what you may acquire as a couple before your emotions are all wrapped up in a breakup or the end of your relationship is useful. You know, it's useful to know how much money your partner makes. It's useful to know what they think about how they're supposed to share that money. I think a lot of couples go into their relationships, you know, just like with rose-colored glasses and people don't want to have hard conversations because they're hard. But when you sit down and map things out and say, okay, well, the moment that we sign this license the moment that we say I do and we're married everything i make in this lifetime is suddenly marital everything that you make is marital and i could potentially have something that you have made at your job you could have something that i have made our retirements are now up for grabs this house that we bought together is up for grabs and not thinking through what could happen if things you know went wrong is not useful, I don't think for anyone, a lot of people, I will say are married for a long time, and they never acquire any property. And a lot of people just kind of walk out of their marriages without anything that they with the same things that they kind of walked into it with. But that's not the case for a lot of people, you know, in middle class America, most people, you know, get married, and they buy a home, and they have a couple of kids, and maybe they buy a couple of cars, and they, you know, open joint bank accounts, and they spend money, a specific way. Every couple, every family is its own world. Mm -hmm. And what applies to one family definitely doesn't apply to the next. And so I think that the goal of the prenup is not, you know, to back anyone into a corner. It's not set one person off worse than the other person in the event of a divorce. But it's the goal, at least in the way I think about it, is a way to think through all of these issues that are going to arise during your marriage. So At some point during your marriage, you have to talk about money. At some point during your marriage, you have to talk about, you know, where you're going to live and mapping through like what everyone expects should this not work out, given that most marriages in 2023 do not work out. Almost more of a necessity than it is anything else. It's important to not, you know, start relationships with your eyes wide closed and to think through things that are very real. Because once your relationship is ending and you're dealing with the emotions of that, it becomes far more challenging for people to think through how to split things up in a way that they both agree to do. Yeah.
1: And because divorce just brings out the absolute like worst in people. Like people my sister's going through a divorce right now and just seeing the pain that she's been going it's been going on now for like 3 years and just seeing the pain in her in her mind and her body and the grief that she's going through not like you said because of the ending of her relationship but now the division of assets and all of that and just seeing how people almost forget that at one point they were in love with someone like that they had this whole life 30 40 years with somebody and all of that memory goes out the door when when people start to think about the divisions of things so it's kind of like a taboo topic but you were telling me that it's something that should be normalized and moving forward it shouldn't be something that's kind of like pushed under the rug while you're getting engaged or while you're thinking about marriage with someone is really good way to assess how
2: good somebody is at conflict. Yeah, I, I definitely think it is. I think a lot of people go into marriages without having really difficult conversations. And it's unfortunate, because again, most marriages end in divorce these days. But it, it is a way to figure out, you know, how much money do I have? How do I feel about sharing it? How much money will I make? How do I feel about sharing it? How much money does the other person have? How do they feel about it? Are we going to be on his insurance or their insurance? Are they going to be on mine? You know, there's a there's one million and one things that involve marrying another person.
0: I thought that was good knowledge. I'm keeping it in my head in, in case I ever get engaged. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, uh, I'm still not even close to anything of that. But I do think it's like a very interesting topic. I just find relationships very fascinating. The next question would be, what would you say is one piece of advice you would give to those thinking about marriage? Find a prenup? Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> other, than, other than get a prenup. I know Alejandra is literally like, get a prenup. I'm like, girl, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of a prenup. I, I think... You know, the, the generic thing to say is like, really get to know the person, you know, but I think that you can live 30, 40, 50 years with someone and realize they had this massive secret, and you never really quite knew them the way that you thought that you did. If I were someone who was in the process of getting married, I think I would ask, is there anything about this person that I would like to change? Mm-hmm. And if there is something that I really want to change about this person, and that thing were to never change, could I still be okay? Could this relationship survive if that thing that I want to change never changes? And if the answer to that is no, it's worth reevaluating that choice because things don't get, you know, magically better because you get engaged Things don't get magically better because you sign a marriage license. Things don't get magically better because you went on this beautiful honeymoon. Things don't get better because you have kids. Things get better when two people try really, really hard to make them better for the other person. Yeah. Um, And if you're not willing to accept that some things won't change, I think it's important to, you know, reevaluate from a more logical perspective than just, you know, I love this person and I want to spend the rest of my life with them, whether or not that thing that you would really like to change is something that you could live without.
1: Yeah. Is it a fatal flaw? Yes. Because what you were saying before, and I, my observations, just because I love observing relationships and communication, and I've been in a long term relationship too, is that I feel like we go into relationships so desperate to have somebody that we think that with every next step, oh, this will make them be a different person like i I, they have these things that i don't really like but once we do this they're gonna change for me and that's that's the worst they're gonna change for me because as i've gotten older i've realized that nobody changes for anyone people only change when they want to change and when they feel the change is right for them and i don't think a lot of people understand that about love is that you really have to go into an experience really it's not about unconditional love where like you accept nonsense but we go into relationships sometimes with people we don't really like and then we want them to be like us or we want them to make us feel good again or to make us feel that high that we felt the first time we met them and then when they don't i i think that that's why a lot of relationships fail is because it's two people trying to make the other like them and the other person not turning like them then they get angry. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I think that in divorces, you find a lot of people who say, um, well, he was always this way or he never did this or he, you know, always treated me in this manner or always did the following. And the question is, well, if they always did that and if they never treated you the way that you you know, wanted to be treated or never did this one thing that you needed, how are we here? Right. <laughs> how did we make it to this point? And why do we expect Generally, as people, that something is going to change magically the moment that we say, I do. Yeah. If it never was happening before or it always was happening before, why is there an expectation that something about that would change just because you agreed to accept it?
0: I think it's interesting how you mentioned how two people get into a relationship knowing they have specific habits, thinking that things would magically change overnight right there they think everything is smooth sailing that just because they have five good things that's going good going good in the relationship they ignore the two that's like really really like bothering you in the back of your mind and I feel like that emotion that creeps on you and just piles up for years and it just gets worse once you have kids more anger build up that everything just explodes in the relationship but are there have there been ever been times when you had those conversations and people actually just like got back together. I'm a clerk in family court. So I don't really have
2: conversations with people more as I listen to them speak all day. And so it's not like me giving advice to anyone. It's more of me like taking general observations about how people react during these very difficult situations. You know, sometimes people get all the way up to the moment that the judge asks, is there any, um, in the District of Columbia, the judge always asks, is there any hope for reconciliation? Like, is there any way that your marriage will get back together after people have been sec- separated for X period of time? And sometimes people say, I don't know. Sometimes people say, you know, we need to take a minute and talk in the hallway and we need to think about it because getting married is a huge decision getting divorced is probably you know a bigger decision it's definitely more complicated than getting married and it's it's challenging you know people get to these limits where they are fed up with the other side the other person and it drives them to you know file papers for to to terminate their marriage and emotions are pretty high you know things generally work fast and slow I would say in family court but once you get to that point where you're going to like completely end this relationship that you thought was going to be forever for a lot of people that's pretty challenging wouldn't say I've observed people getting you know back together but I would say that I've seen people who just aren't sure about whether they should divorce or stay together
1: Thank you, Alejandra, for sharing that. And I wanted to say just like on a positive note, because I know you've had experiences that are very positive, where two people are very present and appreciative of one another. Can you tell me about those kinds of couples that come in and have a very positive experience when it comes to their separation? What characteristics did they have?
2: Yeah, they're definitely far and few. Like I can probably count on two if not one of my hands where people have been pretty amicable in divorces I think that the couples that are amicable are people who recognize that they have grown out of the relationship but not that the other person is a bad person yeah Um, I think it's easy when you when your relationship is ending especially in a, a relationship as important as a marriage is ending people you know place blame on other person, rightfully so. And people, you know, think that everything they thought they knew was a lie, and that the other person has somehow failed them. But I think that the the couples that I've seen that have had amicable divorces are people who are able to sit logically and think, okay, there was a point in my life where I loved you. There was a point in your life where you loved me. We have both outgrown that love for whatever reason. Maybe we have children together and those children matter more than our relationship. And we're going to do everything that we can to make this as smooth as possible. And people like that generally are able to sit down with a mediator and talk things through and divide up whatever they have to divide and come up with agreements on how they're going to share children and all of that sort of thing. But it it definitely, I think I would say takes an acknowledgement from one, if not both sides, where a person can say, we may not be together, but you're not a bad person. You're not the enemy. And we're both here together to solve this common goal which is to get out of this marriage that we both agreed to be in
1: yeah like there's both like an appreciation of the period that they had together and them now Mm -hmm. moving in different directions and I think that that unfortunately because most people are not doing like the self-work or they have a really hard time with accountability that can be very difficult even even in like just breaking up with like a boyfriend, you know, like people really struggle with the blame game thing. Thank you so much, Alejandra, today for answering our questions. So happy that you were able to sit with us. I know.
0: This thank you fun. so much. Thank you so much for staying up. I know it's 9:47 your time, almost 10 p.m. I appreciate your time, just sharing your knowledge, expressing who you are, and telling us more about what you do and what your purpose is. And to meet you
2: via yeah.
0: to get to know you more and the wonderful relationship you you and Blanca has and just like getting more insight on a lot of things, things I had no clue about. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you and much- for having me. This has been really fun. Yes, yeah.
1: and I think that this is a really great transition into part two, which is green flags in relationship. So stay tuned for the next episode. Bye guys.